Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. We are getting into 1 Corinthians together, and as we've said from the very beginning, this letter Paul writes, it gets real with us. And it's all about issues that church and and us as individuals, we still face today. Amen? Remember, Craig Blomberg said that this letter might as well just be called Christian Hot Potato. And so far, Paul has been really doing a deep dive, examining the divisions within the church at Corinth and calling them to pursue biblical unity because the church is the body of Christ. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Today, in chapter 5, Paul changes gears a little bit, and he begins to uh, just address a series of specific issues that were brought to his attention that are going on in the church at Corinth. And as he does this, he lays some pretty clear groundwork for important aspects of life together in community. And he calls them, and he calls us back to who Christ made us to be together. In God's ways. I mentioned this in our weekend newsletter that we send out every week, but if you're here or you're watching online and you have some little ones with you, um, we're gonna hear some things today from the Word and, and, you know, from me that might not be age appropriate uh, for certain ages. So, you know, please bear that in mind if you have some children here. You might wanna consider maybe being in the lobby for this one and revisiting it later. Or if you're watching online and it's just randomly on the TV, just be aware of that. We're going to say some words that maybe you don't want to have that conversation yet. If you're looking to title this message today, if you're taking notes, you could simply just call this touchy topics, okay? Because these are some touchy topics we're going to get into. But remember, we want to come to the Word of God and allow it to instruct us, to change us, and to be real with us. Amen? If we're not coming to the Word of God for what it is and allowing it to speak into our very real lives, then what are we doing with it? We want to be faithful to the text. We want to let it speak clearly. So I will take your prayers as we're examining this because it does speak clearly into our moments as well. We subtitled this series, Uncommon Wisdom for Cultural Chaos. And today, Paul is wading into some chaotic waters and he gives instruction that still echoes through to our day, still matters for us in our day. In many ways throughout this letter, you see that the church in Corinth had this kind of free-for-all thing going on in the church. Anything goes here in Corinth. And the fruit that was being produced was all kinds of problems. There were all kinds of factions and arguments and dissension amongst them. So Paul goes right at two things in this passage that in church today, to be honest, many churches just totally avoid this chapter. It never comes up. But we're not going to do that. Because in our culture, we also sometimes trend towards an anything-goes community of faith. And we often see the same chaotic fruit in our world. And I don't know about you, but what I want to see in our church, I want to see a return to the radiant bride of Christ that he calls us to be, that he is shaping us into together in all her glory. And that means allowing the word to speak with that uncommon wisdom again. Amen. So you ready to open the word? I got your attention with the whole get kids out of here thing. You ready? Okay. All right. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read the whole thing. It's only 13 verses. But before you breathe a sigh of relief, (laughs) wait. Okay, here we go. Paul says this. I can hardly believe the report about sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even pagans don't do. I'm told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. Still with me? Okay? Nobody left yet? Okay. Here we go. And he says, you're so proud of yourselves. You should be mourning in sorrow and shame. And you should remove this man from your fellowship. Even though I'm not with you in person, I'm with you in spirit. And as though I were there, I've already passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. You must call a meeting of the church... I'll be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved 
on the day the Lord returns. Your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you'll be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or who are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave the world to avoid people like that. I meant you're not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer and yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. All right, then. Little passage we're going to go at today. Sex and spiritual discipline, church discipline. What could go wrong, right? Are you guys up for this today? I think... I think we better pray now, okay? Lord Jesus, we invite you because your word is powerful. Your word is an indestructible seed. And what you say of it is that when your word goes forth, it always bears fruit. It never returns void. And Lord, we want the whole instruction of scripture, not just the parts that are fun to look at. But Lord, we pray that as we zero in on what Paul's saying here, would you bring that uncommon wisdom to our hearts, to our community, to our family here? And would you instruct us in your ways? We care far more about what you think than what we feel or what others think. And we're dedicated to you. Come and speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, nowadays, if you travel on an airplane for like a a longer flight than a couple of hours, you get this personal screen with movies on it, right? And you get to choose, you know, you want to play a game, you want to watch a TV show, you can watch movies, you can watch live sports even. It's fantastic. But does anybody remember when there was just one screen for the whole cabin on a long-haul flight, and you didn't get to choose what movie they were showing you. It was just like, well, we're watching this and one other movie. Does anybody remember flying? It was like there's airplane movies going on. Yeah. Now, if you remember this, have you, maybe you had experience like this. You watched a movie on an airplane, and you're like, wow. What a great movie. It's so good. And you start to recommend it to some other friends of yours you, because you love it so much. And then, and then this weird thing happens where they come back to you and they're like, what in the world did you recommend? I watched that with my kids, man. That's messed up. Do you know how much violence and language and sex and all these things were in there? And you're like, what? Like, that wasn't in the movie that I read. Are you sure you've seen the same movie that I'm seeing? Because the movies that they would put on the airplanes, are so, they're all like sanitized of any of that stuff that could potentially lead to problems, right? You guys remember this? I had this experience. I watched a movie on an airplane. I was like, that was great. And then I like went to watch it with my family, and I was really like worried what my dad was going to say, right? Because a lot of that stuff wasn't in there. It's the edited version, sanitized. And, and you know, when it comes to Hollywood, let's be honest, a lot of times edited or sanitized versions are a good idea. But when it comes to the Word of God, edited and sanitized versions are not a good idea. Reality is this, the Word of God, if it was a movie shown on the airplane, there are going to be some parts of the story that we read in the Bible that, you know, we got to be careful what we're going to say when we introduce this to our kids for the first time. Maybe like the book of Judges, right? Or, or like the whole book of Song of Songs, like Most of that would not make the airplane, right? So what do we do with Paul here? What do you want to do with Paul when he's talking about some things that are pretty dicey? Should we just ignore this touchy passage and and kind of ignore the wisdom it can bring as well? I think we need to do two things. First, let's realize that the Bible goes there. And let's give it permission to go there with us. Let's give the word permission to talk to us about our sex lives, about our eating and drinking habits, about the way we treat people, and even more. 
Secondly, let's make sure that we look at what Paul is really saying and not get carried away in some of the things that have been said to be said here. So let's start with something really clear, okay? The case at hand that he's addressing in this passage. This is kind of a soft pitch, right? Um, Because some things are clearly off limits. Some things we can look at even now in 2021 and be like, yeah, that's just wrong, right? Even the pagans would blush at this one, says Paul. It reminds me of an example John Mark Comer gives in his book, Live No Lies. Um, anybody heard the popular Selena Gomez lyrics, the heart wants what it wants? You know, this is, a, this is a popular sentiment in our day and age. The heart wants what it wants. You, know, you do you. If it makes you feel good, right? I wonder if anybody remembers where that phrase, the heart wants what it wants, became famous. In Woody Allen's Time Magazine interview in 1992, questioned about how he, as a 56-year-old man, decided to run off with the 21-year-old adopted daughter of his current girlfriend, with whom he had two children. Instead of showing any self-appraisal or any recognition that this is just plain wrong or remorse, Allen just famously said, the heart wants what it wants. Kind of like chapter 5 here, the man with his stepmother. But there's a difference This is happening in the church. And Paul says, this cannot stand. There was a time when it doesn't matter where you came from. There's an understanding of what's wrong is just plain wrong, right? And that time may have passed. We live in 2021. But incest, at least currently, people agree that's not just something frowned upon. That's just wrong and disgusting. Heart wants what it wants. That's maybe popular wisdom, but we live by an uncommon standard, amen? In the church, the word gives us a different view of the human heart and what it can wreak havoc in our lives. We live by a different set of wisdom. We know that what the word says in Jeremiah, that our hearts can be deceitful above all things and lead us into all kinds of problems, amen? We also live with the wisdom that our hearts have been ransomed, have been redeemed, have been made clean. Our hearts are spoken for. They belong to Jesus. Amen? You guys with me, or did I lose you when I said the word incest in church? You know, the reality is, in this passage and beyond, Paul gets into way more than just sexual issues. But sex was such a core issue going on in the church of Corinth And if we're honest, sex is such a core issue of what's happening in current modern-day America. Scripture gives us a clear vision of God's idea about sex. Because sex is God's idea. Sex is God's idea. Sex is a gift from God. That's what Scripture shows us. And it also gives us clear sexual boundaries and ethics and a vision for sex as part of God's intention to see human beings flourish according to his ways. We tend to pick and choose. Even in church, we tend to pick and choose which sexual issues we think are off limits to talk about or let the Bible talk about even. Pick on certain things. But our level of comfort or discomfort does not change what the word of God says or means or holds as true for our lives. The Bible doesn't make a hierarchy of sexual misconduct But instead, it elevates a vision of God's best that we are to bring our lives into alignment with. And Paul, in this passage, he starts with this easy picture, this thing that even the pagans would blush at. But he doesn't just elevate things pertaining to sex. Look at verse 11. He gives a whole litany of other things that he wants to address. He expands that kind of danger zone of what was going on in the church to do with many things having to do with our bodily agency, our our actions. See, in Corinth, what was going on at the heart of things was this core issue, this idea, this heresy they had latched onto. And it's a heresy that's still very present in the church today. Basically, the thought was this. God is interested in your soul, the eternal part of who you are. But since our physical body doesn't really matter that much, What we do with it doesn't matter that much to God. This is what they believed. 
And that's not really just a first century thought, is it? That's a 21st century thought as well. God's not interested in what I do with my body. God doesn't get a say in what I do with my body, whether that's my eating or drinking or who I sleep with or whatever. Paul makes it clear what we do with our bodies matters a great deal to God. Their worldview was centered on what they could know and the spiritual gifts they could show off. They made all kinds of excuses for their increasingly sinful actions, things that were totally out of line with God's word and God's standards. Paul reminds them over and over again, as we've said from the beginning of this series and long before, spiritual maturity is not about what we know or what we say we believe or what we put on Instagram. Spiritual maturity is about a transformed life of obedience to Jesus as Lord. If you notice, some of these other things Paul hit on in this passage expresses them in such a way that they're, they're clearly becoming the definition of the culture of these house churches in Corinth. There is a reputation for being drunk, reputation for being someone who cheats other people or worshiping idols, instead of having a reputation for being crazy about Jesus. You see how this could become a problem if your church is known more for it's drinking habits, it's sleeping around, than it is about loving Jesus and adhering to his standards. What does Paul tell us to do? Covered the sex part, and let's get into the other part. Now we're getting touchy. He says, you've got to take action. You have to pass judgment in this situation. Now, this may come as a shock to some, because over the years... Churches of different streams and in different times kind of have vacillated between judgment-heavy churches or go the complete opposite way into this is a judgment-free zone. Anything goes here. The church hasn't exactly been, you know, good at finding the balance on this. And in our time, you know, in our society, we live in a very license-based, individual freedom-exalting society. Many think that maybe Paul, even in this passage, maybe he's contrasting the teachings of Jesus. I mean, Jesus, after all, said, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. Jesus said in Matthew 7, judge not lest you be judged. What, what gives here, right? So this may come as a shock because we love those passages and we never talk about 1 Corinthians 5. This is not the same thing that Paul is addressing and we have to keep that in mind. Within the church, within the covenantal family that God has adopted you and I into, there is a depth of relationship where there is accountability for our actions. End of story. To the standards that God has given. We are accountable to God's ways that he has handed down. And we're accountable together in the church Anything less than that is not what the New Testament teaches. And Paul, you know, Paul, he's not going back on his other teachings that we are saved by grace alone and through faith and not by our works. He's not saying this is something you do to earn God's approval. Dr. Gordon Fee reminds us, if his writings in Romans and Galatians make it plain that one is not saved by obedience to the law, 1 Corinthians makes it equally plain that the saved are expected to live out their lives in obedience to the commandments of God and the law of Christ. Paul is saying there are standards here. It's not a free-for-all. There are steps to take, especially when something gets this far out of control, where people are, are being defined, your church culture is being defined by the vices and sin, and they're flaunting it, boasting about it. Look how free we are. Chapter 5 begs the question, an important question. What level of discipline is right when there are such serious things going wrong? Because if we're honest, and let's be honest in church today, the church in America has become pretty famous for high-profile scandals where church discipline was completely not done. Look at some of the leaders in the American church you don't have to look far to find somebody who was once thought of as this great man of God who has fallen so far from grace. And almost every time that happens, you can find a story of lack of accountability, lack of any boundaries or church discipline going on. So 
Is that what we want to be? The Bible never shows us church being a free-for-all, anything-goes environment. And that is not what Jesus had in mind when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So today, I want to ask us today, where are we at with the idea of church discipline? Where are we at with the idea of church discipline? Craig Blomberg said, many will continue to view, view the whole notion of church discipline and certainly excommunication as repulsive and unloving. Large sections of the contemporary church virtually ignore 1 Corinthians 5 altogether. And doubtless, this is a reaction against horrible excesses and abuses of this very chapter in the past. First things first, we got to recognize today, the church has made some seriously big blunders in this arena as well. Not a small number of people have, have experienced badly conducted church discipline or just horrible things that were called discipline. There is very real, very horrible abuses of power in the church history. It's not that hard to find. So if you're here today and you're skeptical, if you're here today and you're worried about where this is going, I get it. I get it because I have no desire to see us return to anything like that ever again. If you're here today and, and you've been personally hurt by an abuse of church power, I am so sorry to hear that. And that is not what we desire to see for any of our lives. Our goal as a church family is to find the true and loving ways that Scripture teaches us and that Jesus himself handed down to us. Not to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say anything goes because we've been hurt in the past, but to get back to what Jesus had in mind. To completely eradicate the idea of church discipline because human beings have abused power in the past would be to walk away from the word of God and to ignore what the New Testament teaches us about genuine church communities that are flourishing. We're invited instead for something else. To get off this pendulum that the church loves, swinging from complete license to complete legalism. And to find that balance of coming under the lordship of Jesus together as a family. Let's not forget what Paul's favorite metaphor for the church in this book and beyond is. He talks about the fact that we are one body together. One body together together. Let me ask you, when there's a serious disease in the body, do we really expect the great physician to totally ignore that? To say, yeah, maybe that'll just clear up on its own. Hmm? N.T. Wright said it like this. We can imagine howls of anger at what Paul suggests in this passage with this man in today's church. Paul may well have answered is a doctor unloving or judgmental when he or she tells you that you must have an operation right away? Do we want a doctor who tolerates viruses, bacteria, cancer cells? And if we say that the moral issues Paul mentions in verse 11 are not like diseases, are we so sure? Do these things build up a community or do they destroy it? <clears throat> See, for Paul, as he hears of these things going on in the church in Corinth, there is way too much at stake for him to take a casual approach to these things. He doesn't want to be apathetic towards things which are wrecking the lives of people he cares so deeply about. As the old saying goes in leadership circles, what you permit, you promote. And Paul agrees with that idea. <clears throat> he says, it'll work its way through everything, like a little yeast which works its way through the whole batch of dough. And Paul will not let them forget the freedom that Christ has won for them. He reminds us in verse 7, Jesus became for us our Passover lamb. Jesus was sacrificed for us so that we could be cleansed from these things which want to keep us enslaved to sin. We cannot take that for granted. Amen? This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer refers to as cheap grace. Cheap grace. Thank you, Jesus, that you set me free, but I'm just going to carry on doing whatever I want. Cheap grace. There's more at stake here. There's more at stake than just this one man, even, because we're one body, Paul says. Their witness in that culture for Jesus was at stake. Their unity and the way that they 
stood out as different in their day was vital for, for God's plan for them as a church. And it's still vital for us that we are called to be different, to not look like our world, but to stand out in a way which causes people to go, what in the world have they got going on? Corinth was full of attitudes and actions that look a lot like our culture today. And people everywhere in Corinth were just absolutely enslaved to their addictions and issues. But Jesus set us free. And we're not supposed to go back to the same old habits, the same old vices. So Paul, he gives a verdict here. He says, it's time to to cut some ties. Now, I want us to see this within the whole council of Scripture. And I want us to look at what Paul's not saying as well, okay? Paul is not saying it's time to go witch hunting, okay? He's not saying, let's form a crowd of legalists and and just, you know, find everybody's hidden sin here. But he is dead serious about the fact that the church has the word of God and the clear standards of God for his people as our guide and our measuring stick. He says there are standards, We have to remember that. This glimpse that we get into church discipline, this this very clearly wrong thing going on, and what he's suggesting they do, that is at the end of a series of things that we are called to do in loving relationship first. You can read more about this in chapters like Matthew 18, where Jesus talks about going personally to that person and having conversation with them. It's not just, hey, you know what, somebody's got a little bit of sin going on, excommunicate everybody. That's not what Paul is saying. You can read Matthew 18. You can read the book of Titus. You can see that there are many attempts made. But this is a moment where it is real far gone that we're looking at. In this point, there is an obvious problem happening. This person, they weren't just continuing in sin. In something that's clearly wrong. But they're proud of it. Multiple times says you're boasting about this. You're, you're teaching about this. They're refusing to acknowledge that anything was wrong. There's refusal of any kind of repentant attitude at all. And they begin to teach others, no, it's all good. God's cool with this. That's a different level. This has gone to a certain point. This is about someone blatantly and persistently leading others into an understanding that is contrary to God's word and God's ways in a brazen way. With a pride that says, Hang on, you Neanderthal. We're enlightened now, and God's okay with this. This is tied to the same prideful root that's causing all these divisions in the church that Paul just spent the last four chapters railing against. Some people were teaching a different version of Christianity, and as Gordon Fee says, they were remaking the gospel into worldly wisdom totally divorced from truly Christian ethics. Pretending that God has no standards. He's not a holy God. He doesn't care what we do with our bodies. So Paul comes with a scalpel because the body is worth saving from the disease. And yet, one of the weirdest and most little confusing bits about this is that Paul has an end game in mind that is incredibly hopeful for this man that they're talking about. If you notice, you know, even by doing this thing, which seems so harsh, he, he longs for this man to remain in communion with God. He's not saying excommunicate him forever, never leave the door open. He's done. He made his choice. He's made his bed. Let him lie in it. He's saying that his soul will be saved on the day the Lord returns. There is a goal of salvation. There is a goal that is hopeful because sin will kill us. In Romans, Paul says the wages of sin is death. It brings physical death in our lives. It brings spiritual death in our lives. Sin is not to be messed around with. Paul recommends removal from the intimate protection that we have as the family, the body. And partially that's because when we draw a line and we say, you know what, no, the the Lord has standards. It puts this man to the decision point then, right? He has a decision to make then. He knows that it's not cool here. It's not acceptable here. And he has to make a decision. And so if the church, not an institution called the church, but the the people, the flesh and blood that we are embodied with, who we're intimately doing life with, will sit back and just say, you know, what's cool. You do you. Do what feels right to you. Well, that leaves us in limbo at best, Right? 
There has to be clarity so that we can make decisions on what we can do with our lives. There has to be a recognition that there are some standards here. And unless this man has any kind of repercussions at all, what incentive does he have to change? But there's also a deeper hope that by letting this man go, giving him over to what he wants to do, drawing that line, that he will realize that this is not what he really wants. That as the consequences of his sin, which we know the wages of sin, death start to show up in his life, he'll realize, I do not want to go down this path. You know, I, I don't think he would mind me sharing this with you. Brant told me a story a little while ago. He had a, a time where he was driving his car and he was really upset with the situation and just like, God, why are you allowing this? And I don't understand God. And just, you know, he's really arguing with God. And he said, in that moment, God let me just for a moment remember what it felt like to be without him. Remember what it felt like to not belong to him. He said, it was so overwhelming, the confusion and despair that I felt in that moment that I almost wrecked the car. And that's what this man, what Paul's saying is, you know, maybe, just maybe, if we draw that line and say, okay, if that's what you want, not here, we, we release you to that. Maybe he'll have that moment as well. Despite the carnage that this man was causing in the church, it's amazing to me, Paul carries such hope for him. He cares about this man. He's saying, look, I'm going to let him go and let him do what he wants to do, but like, I hope that he finds his, his, his joy of salvation again. And that is always meant to be the heart of church discipline, a hopeful heart for restoration. As Craig Blomberg says, church discipline, it's not merely or even primarily a punitive thing. It's not just coming and punish. He says it's always remedial. It's always hopeful for reconciliation. There's something beautiful here for us to remember. The hope that Paul's hanging on to. Because we live in a world that says things like, you know, if you disagree with me, well, then you can't really love me, right? If you, if you love me, you'll never, you'll never contradict me or call me out on anything. That's kind of the, the actions and the thought patterns of our world. But the church is vastly different than that, isn't it? It always has been. We love each other enough to tell the truth, even when it will bring some pain. Proverbs tells us that faithful are the wounds of a friend. Amen? Even if it will bring us some pain, we need to be willing to hear truth because we are all works in progress. Every one of us has areas where the word of God is correcting things in me. And we choose to continue in love and unity, even when we're disagreeing or trying to find out what the truth is. All of us come to Jesus as hopelessly sinful and totally in need of a Savior. Every single one of us. And every single day, we need him to transform us. This walk with Jesus that we signed up for, it comes preloaded with the idea that every one of us is changing. We are works in progress. And that God gives us each other to help with that process. So we're going to have our disagreements in church. We're going to work through some things. And that is part of our loving commitment to one another. And what Paul, what Paul trusts God for in this moment, what he trusts is that God will never, ever stop working on us. God will never stop pursuing us, ever. No matter what we buy into, no matter what we fall into, God is never going to stop pursuing our hearts. He trusts that. That's where his hope is for this man and for this church. As he says to the Philippian church, he says, I'm confident of this, that he who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So even with this man, even in the, the final difficult, awful steps of disciplinary action that we see here, Paul is believing for his eternity. He believes that God is infinitely capable at all times of transforming every heart. And he's holding on to that. And we need to hold on to that every day. For my heart, for your heart, for all of us. This is what it means to be part of the church. To build this kind of depth of relationship that can weather some things. It's not shallow. It means going deep with one another. Loving deeply. And not allowing each other to settle for anything less than God's best in our lives. Amen?
See, in our age, where the preference is for loose affiliations, shallow friendships, any disagreement is sometimes labeled as oppressive or cut ties and just, well, fine, you do you thing then. So church discipline looks completely foreign in our world, right? Let's be honest. The idea that somebody can say, like, that's out of line with God's word. Like, most people in a modern-day America would be like, well, who are you, right? So we prefer to keep people at arm's length. Don't you dare tell me how to live my life. Again, there have been a lot of mistakes made in the past in the church. We're not trying to sweep that under the rug. But we're not advocating a return to an institutional manual of years past. We're advocating a return to the living, breathing word of God, to humbly allowing his spirit to help us get this right together. Reality is this, the word has ethical implications for our actions in our lives. Whether that's how we speak to each other, how we act with each other, our eating and drinking, and yes, our sex lives as well. We are called to be a holy priesthood. There are standards that that God has that we need to strive to live up to. There is no dispute about that. You cannot read the Bible and not see that. In a time where it's uncommon to talk about it, we turn to the word and we find that church is not a free-for-all. Because we've been bought with a price. And daily, we allow Jesus to shape our lives to work on us. It's not just about what we say we believe. We daily bring our lives to him. And that's what Paul is calling us back to in this passage. Verse 8, he calls us to become that new bread of sincerity and truth. And he uses the example of yeast that works its way through dough. There's a yeast of anything goes that can totally undermine the testimony of a church and the depth of the relationships that we can build. And Paul says, don't go back to those old ways. Don't go back. Let Jesus keep transforming you. Let him keep working on you. The Bible from the very beginning shows us different versions, different visions of human flourishing, different visions of what the good life looks like, right? There's the good life that God wants to give us according to his ways and his design and his patterns and what he wants for us. And then there's the good life where I get to say what is good according to what I feel in the moment. That's the lie of Genesis 3, right? You can be like God. You get to call the shots. That's Romans 1, abandoning the worship of a creator and instead worshiping created things. And this is the ongoing struggle happening in Corinth, going back to, you know what? I'm going to say what's okay with God here. I'm going to say what's good. I'm going to say what flourishing looks like for me. And What we see is that it's producing all kinds of chaos. And this is the ongoing struggle in our culture as well. You know, Paul is not done with this thought, by the way. And I love what he reminds us when he picks it back up again. You know, talking about we cannot be a people who are just enslaved to our passions and habits and our addictions and letting those things control us. He says this in chapter 6. He says, some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God working in you. Amen? Somebody say amen to that one. Once we were soaked in our vices to the point where it defined us, it owned us, but Jesus Christ ransomed us. Amen? And he wants to continue to shape us together daily into his radiant bride. The question isn't whether we have desires inside of us that are wrong. We all do. Every single one of us has desires that are wrong. The question is whether we want to seek him first. Let his ways and his righteousness be our guide. More than what we feel or desire or what somebody will tell us is fine. And let him say what is good and right for us. When we choose to put him first, when we say, God, I want to know what you think about this. I want your thoughts because your thoughts are higher than mine. We discover that not only is he willing to share those thoughts with us, but his grace, his forgiveness, his goodness in our lives go way further than we could imagine. 
He is right there with so much empowerment for us that he wants to come alongside and show us what it means to be the tribe of the redeemed. As Corey Ten Boom said, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. So it doesn't matter where we've gone. God's love can find us right there and lift us back to him. His, de- his desire is to make us into new creations every day. And he will not stop. He will not rest because he's passionate for his bride. So will we allow us, allow him to remake us into this bread of sincerity and truth? It's two things that Paul tells us, sincerity and truth. It's a beautiful picture of what God longs to shape in us. He makes us sincere. Where We we get our English word from the Latin, sincera, without wax, it means. You know, back in the day when they were making clay pots, if there was like a crack in one or a blemish, they would fill it in with wax so the shape goes back, and then they paint over it. You know, the Greek word Paul uses here expands on this. It means literally Sincere means to be judged by sunlight. You hold it up and you can see that it's perfectly shaped. There's no wax in it covering the blemishes. It's really describing a heart condition where we have no fear of being examined in the light. Having our, we have no fear of having our motives even examined. We're real with one another, accountable enough with one another that you can say that to me. I will hear you on that. Because we've got nothing to hide, essentially. We're an open book. What you see is what you get. How many of you guys just love people like that? Like, what you see is what you get with that person, right? There's no beating around the bush. There's no hidden pretense, right? Our culture, we love people who are like that. Authenticity, we call it, right? Who doesn't love authentic people? We love genuine people. But the thing is, sincerity alone isn't enough. Because you could be totally sincere about something that's completely wrong, right? Hitler was. Paul calls us to sincerity and truth. There's standards there. The word here for truth in Greek is just so good. The word is aletheia. And it means this. It means truth, but not merely as spoken, but the truth of an idea, the truth that is reality, divine truth revealed to man. Not just what seems true. In Greek times, it meant reality as the opposite of illusion. So, kind of truth Paul's talking about that we're meant to be called to be. This isn't just speak your truth. This isn't just my truth like we see in our world. This isn't subjective or changing in any way. This is what is real and true according to the one who is the truth. Truth imparted to us by the word made flesh and according to the eternal word of God handed down from the creator. N.T. Wright says this, the mention of truth here indicates that at the heart of all misbehavior, there's a lie. The lie that says, God doesn't mind. The lie that pretends this one time doesn't matter. The easy but deadly lie that imagines that this was, after all, how human beings were supposed to behave. Many today have actually elevated moral indifference at least on some issues, into part of their foundation charter, so that to suggest introducing discipline, say, over sexual misbehavior, would cause a storm of protest. But Paul is clear. We are to walk according to the ways of God and the word of God, and to do it with all our heart because we're his body, and we have been bought with a price. Today, I'm suggesting that we allow the word to get real with us. Allow the word, as David would say, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there is any offensive way within me. And we've got to get real about the, the fact that in our culture, even in church culture in America, there is a lot of the same tendency to be anything goes. doesn't matter. It's okay. To accept the lie that this is a free-for-all. I said yes to Jesus, but he doesn't really make any claims on what I do with my body or my time or any of that. God is a holy God. He promises he will help us and remake us into new creations because we have no hope to be holy enough ever. But we're bought with a price. We're cleansed. We've been made right with him. And again, this is not about earning his approval. But because we've been made right with God, 
We want to live according to his ways. We put him first. We seek his righteousness first. And if we decide we're going to commit ourselves to this together, seeking his desires above our own as his people, the sincerity and truth, and get ready. Because I'll tell you, we're going to experience things that you can't imagine. When the church united around the word says, God, we are coming after you. We are allowing you to shape us and change us. When the church proceeds and says, you know, I need to repent of some things, revival is what follows. Always. So get ready. Because I believe that God's calling us to rediscover his standards, to allow him to put his finger on absolutely anything in our lives, because he wants to then flood us with his power. That's my sincere belief. And when the church is united on these things, pursuing his ways, turning from sin, the power of God consistently shows up. And that's what I want to see, amen? I don't know about you. I want to go deeper. I want to see revival. Anyone else? Let's stand together. We're going to worship in just a minute. I want us to just allow the Holy Spirit to be real with us for a few minutes. And in a few moments, you know, if you, if you want prayer for anything, I know, <laughs> I'll be honest, this is one of those sermons where it's like if anybody goes for prayer, everybody's like, you know, you can have prayer for anything. Our prayer team is ready to pray with you about just anything in your life. It doesn't have to be, you know, sexual sin or anything like that. But I want the Spirit of God to have permission to be real with our hearts today. Amen? I want Him to examine us. Because no matter what it may be in our lives, we got to be real about what we permit, right? What we permit, we promote. It could be, yeah, we may have a serious kind of ongoing battle with something, an attitude even, that we know is not from God and is not God's best for us. Or it could just be we've been running with a crowd that preaches a totally different standard. we got to be real about what we permit. Maybe we've bought into some of these ideas in our culture like they were in Corinth that God isn't interested in what we do with our body and our actions. We need to come back to him and say, God, we want your thoughts on the matter. Search me and know my heart. Teach me. See if there's anything in me that isn't in line with you. I give you permission to speak into my life. Maybe the first thing we need to do is to simply ask ourselves honestly today if we are open to correction. If we're open to any kind of course correction from the Lord and from the Holy Spirit. You want to experience the power of God's spirit in your life. You can't say, I want God's power in this part and not this part, right? Are we open however and whenever, God, you want to change something up with me? I belong to you. I was bought with a price. Are we ready to listen, willing to let him change us? And I just want to be real and just say, maybe there's some hang-ups from the past. Maybe there's some wounds. I know plenty of people in this room have been hurt by church discipline even before in the past. Maybe today is the day that we come to the Lord and just say, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I, I need genuine relationship again because when you've been hurt, sometimes it's easy to keep the real thing at arm's length because you know what? It's too real. I don't know if I want to give somebody that sort of intimacy again. Maybe today could be the day that you just say, God, help me. Come and help me to surrender those things to you. Yes, the hurt is real. Yes, those wounds. And yes, that was very wrong. But God, I still want your best for me. Today, I believe God can kick off a work of restoration and surround us with his body in a healthy way again. Amen. I want us to learn and commit ourselves to the healthy and holy way that Jesus had in mind. And let scripture and the spirit of God be our guide, not to get carried away with anything, but to recognize that God has a plan for us to be his radiant bride. And I don't want to let anything hold me back or us back. I know God will continue the good work he has begun in us as well, shaping us into his people of deep, loving, abiding relationships where we can be an open book for one another. We can love each other the right way. So finally, let's commit our hearts to cheering one another on as God continues to do his work in all of us. Amen?
Let's champion one another. Not just being afraid to be real with one another, but also cheering one another on. Even Paul with this man in this terrible moment, he has such great hope for him. How are we dreaming for each other's eternity? How are we celebrating what God has put in each other? Let's cheer each other on. Let's be the kind of people who we're an open book for one another. We trust that God is doing a work in you like he's doing in me. And we're trusting God to make us into something new and beautiful together. Amen. Jesus, sometimes, sometimes we all have things going on in our hearts. And you've just been knocking on the door of our hearts by your spirit. God, we pray that you would help us to give you permission to come and do whatever you want with us, but to shape us into your people. And we thank you, Lord, that you've given us each other to help along that process. Not so we could just go around lording it over one another or getting legalistic or getting out the measuring you know, magnifying glass and spying on each other. God, make us one. Make us your body, a healthy and whole body that brings honor to your name and radiates your glory to our neighbors and our coworkers and our, our community. God, we want to be that. And we trust that you will not stop until you made us that. But God, we give you permission. Be real with us. Help us to be real with one another. It's not normal for us. We live in a culture that doesn't like this, but teach us your ways. We come to you. We want your thoughts first. And we know, we know all the things we need, the things we fret over, the reasons we want to keep everybody at arm's distance. Like you said in Matthew chapter 6, your father knows everything you need. He knows everything you're wrestling with. He knows you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and he'll take care of all that. So God, we trust you. We take you at your word today and we give you permission. Come and change us. Come and speak into our lives. God, give us those types of friends in this body who we can be totally real with, who have such incredible hope for our future, who know our dreams, who are championing our lives, who are deeply committed that no matter what we've kind of fallen into, they'll never give up on us, but who love us enough to tell us the truth and to hold us to it. That's what we need. Make us your people again in a new way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's worship him and let's celebrate that he has redeemed us, that he will not stop making us into this people together. And if you like prayer for anything at all, come and find us because we want to pray. We want to be that people who just lifting those needs to God together. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.